Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Middle of the week, Wednesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, Election Day, now in the rearview mirror. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. It's what they do, and it's what they've been doing for over a century you're in North Mississippi with land financing needs, check out Mississippi Land Bank, mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, good to be with you. What's up, fellas? Hey, Borky. Hey. Hey, Haydad. What's going on, guys? Everything's good. Did you have a good Tuesday night? I spent it at the hump, so yeah, it was great. Little hoops last night. Yeah. How's the crowd? Not great. And that's, uh, don't don't make me go down this path, Richard. People will yell at me. Wait, who's yelling at you? Did somebody yell at you over attendance somebody, conversation? So somebody asked last night, "Hey, how's the crowd?" And I was just like, "I'm not falling into this trap again." The the the, the crowd oh, at the hump is is just a it's 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 stinky bait. You don't want to be any part of that. Well, who gets mad if you say there's nobody there? The people who aren't there. Oh, because they immediately don't want to tell you why it is they couldn't come? That's exactly correct, yes. Because they live too far away or it's a school night or... For whatever hey, reason. No, you didn't care enough to go. I'll say this. Game that, in November, who cares? I'll say this. I went to you know the, the women's exhibition game on Monday. I went to the MSU men's basketball game on Tuesday. I said at the exhibition game, I said, I bet there are more people here for this exhibition than there will be for the actual regular season men's game tomorrow. I was right. Significantly right? Uh, it was pretty obviously right, yeah. Whew. All right. Uh, but it was a win. That it was. We'll talk about that it, it was. coming up in uh, just yeah. a little bit. Hey, Rippy. What's up? How are you? Living the dream. Anything shaking on a Wednesday? Really not much. Did the podcast today. Planned out our NASCAR corner. Oh, yeah, you and JT are going to get together for the uh, NASCAR corner? I need to talk to him about that. I think it'd be funny. I thought you just said you planned it out. No. So, so actually, you haven't planned it out at all. You just lied to the entire state of Mississippi. Oh uh, Yeah. I, I planned out what I would like to do. That I wrote down a few dumb questions, kind of a trial run type of deal. I don't think JT's listening right now. What do you think? The, what, give us a sample of the questions. Synthetic oil or no? I don't understand the pit row thing where you go in for a pit stop. How do you not lose your place? Um, you do, but that's that's kind of the thing. It's... That's why it's so important. So what's the point of the first 500 mile, 400 miles of the race if you're just going to lose your place to get gas? Well, but you have to do it a couple times Everybody during the race. Everybody else also, yeah. so you're able to hopscotch. 
So you're like in last and not in last and last and not in last? Yeah, Maybe, but like if that. if you're in first and you get into the pit box first and your pit crew is really good, you get out of the pit box first. Okay. Uh, what gives you more pit road cred? Challenging someone else to a fight or a really mean mustache? Why can't it be both? Which one's more? Oof. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, if you if you get into a fight with a guy with a mustache, that's pretty uh pretty bold. I would like to solve the age old riddle of do they just pee all over themselves or do they hold it? How does that work? There's no way there's a toilet in there. I they they pee on themselves, not the way it sounds. They have like a a contraption that allows them to do it. Some people well, would call that a catheter. Yeah, that but sounds... it's not a it's not that though, right? I, I don't know because a catheter like, like, like is painful and goes up. This is more wait, just like a you just. But it, when what does it come? Does it come as like in stressful moments, like you're passing a guy on the outside about to get smashed in the wall, and then you're peeing all over yourself as it's happening? Like how does that work? Wait, who who can't? Told you this segment has potential. Who, who can't hold it for like three hours? Dude, they're sweating. sweating. Yeah, yeah, you're, like, yeah. You're, you're you're losing it. It's probably not as bad as you think. Yeah, the, it's rigged the, up though, the, just in case. But hold on, now the sweating would mitigate the need to go to the restroom. Yeah, but because you sweat, they pump you up full of fluids and electrolytes to make sure you sweating that much doesn't have an adverse effect on your ability to focus. Electrolytes—that's what plants crave. <laughs> <laughs> See, there's all kinds of potential for this. Mm. I would be interested to know JT's answer to the uh, going to the restroom during the race question. I told you the answer. Well, I understand that, but JT might answer it in a rather humorous way, in a rather JT-like way. I mean, isn't isn't ultimately the uh, the goal of this to get JT laughing? No, I actually kind of want to learn about NASCAR. I don't know. That's one sport. That and cricket are two sports I literally could not tell you one thing about, other than that the NASCAR has wheels. Um, and cricket hits a ball with a paddle. Yeah, lots of tobacco. That's really about all I know. Yeah. Um, wicked googly into in cricket. That's all I know. I wonder how hurt Scary Gary is going to be that you've chosen to talk with JT about NASCAR instead of him. Scary Gary is a NASCAR fan? Oh, ho, 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 ho. That would be yes. There are no rules on this podcast. You can pretty. You think you could alternate between the two of them? No, it, it it'd be like a separate cage type of thing. Like if you get them intermixing and maybe they make eye contact, and I'd have to go one at a time. That's what I said. Alternate between the two of them. Oh yeah. I didn't mean alternate questions. I meant I like thought you meant get them both. Alternate episodes. Yeah, probably. You think this is a once-a-week deal? Haven't gotten that far yet. I thought you said you had planned it all out. I wrote down six dummy questions is what I told you. Okay, so you, really you haven't planned anything out. I wrote down six questions that probably would generate pretty good answers. It's better than nothing. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Rippy clearly doesn't like being pinned down on a topic that he's not really ready to discuss, uh, so we will move on. The whole point of the topic is that I don't know anything about the topic. I think that's uh, – no, I'm, I'm messing with you. 
No, I just feel like I've kind of gotten under your skin, so I'm just going to keep needling. Not at all. I'm just bit. over here peeing in my catheter, hanging out. <laughs> we we should try to, to be like the NASCAR bathroom. drivers on this show. Nobody go to the bathroom for the entirety of the show. We'll, we'll march in solidarity. I'd be screwed. <laughs> uh, maybe you could get a NASCAR car driver on. I don't know any NASCAR drivers. Hugh Freeze was good buddies with one from Mississippi. There you go. Just slide into his DMs. Switch it up. Anyway. Some hoops to get to tonight. Uh, well, a couple of games tonight. A bunch of games last night. We'll bounce around the SEC. We'll recap Mississippi State. FIU in the season opener. Borky says we have a great soundbite from Mike Leach in which he talks about zombies. We're going to get to some NFL stuff this afternoon. Pretty sure that Hey Dad is going to disagree with some of the power rankings that are out there. We'll take a look at uh, what happened on this day in college football history a little bit later on. And a uh, big dose of college football stuff coming out as well. Uh, I will spoil things just a bit and say the college football playoff. Playoff initial rankings came out last night, and I was not correct. I still think I should have been correct, but um, not correct. What did you guys make of rankings coming out last night? Ohio State 1, LSU 2, Alabama 3, and number 4 was Penn State, right? Yeah. I'm looking forward to the completely manufactured and fake bulletin board material that Dabo will use this with because it matters so much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first round of rankings kind of matter because you know, generally speaking, where you are in the pecking order, but you've got so much play among the teams that are in the top eight or so between now and the end of the regular season that it will all sort itself out, or at least mostly it will sort itself out and begin to give a little more clarity over the uh, next few weeks. Yeah, I saw some local people in South Carolina furious, like, how can you leave off the previous national champion out of the first top four when they're undefeated? It's like, hey, use your brain for a second. Alabama and LSU are going to take care of themselves literally this weekend. Ohio State and Penn State will take care of themselves in three weeks from now. Last night does not matter to you at all. As long as you win all of your games... By default, you're not going to be left out of the top four. So what are you crying about? Yeah, and and I'll just be perfectly honest with you. If you tell me, how do you leave out Clemson when they're the reigning national champion, I'm not listening to you anymore. Because what they did a year ago, or the year before that, or the year before that, has absolutely no bearing on where they are ranked this year. Oh, well, they've won 27 in a row, or whatever the number is. I don't care. It's about this year. Yes, they're undefeated, but they played nobody. So they're outside the top five. Or outside the top four. They're at number five. But guess what? If they keep winning, they're going to get into the top four. It's just really not a big deal. Let's get to some basketball. We had actual games last night. We will look at that next in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Happy birthday to my boy. Obi is seven years old today. Did somebody start to say something? Yeah, what was the gift? The gift. Um, so his big sister, with her own money, bought him a pocket knife 
which he was really excited about. Uh, and then he asked me to put it in the safe so he wouldn't lose it or accidentally do something with it he wasn't supposed to. So that was that was good. Uh, he's big into Legos, so he got a Lego set. And Jane and I, I guess kind of from the whole family to him, uh, he got a deer stand. Oh, nice. It's uh, it's uh, it's called a quad pod. Uh, so it's uh, it's one of these deer stands. Uh, more than some assembly required. So we got a little bit of work to do on this thing before uh, uh, it's actually functional. But it's um, it's one of these tower deer stands. It's not one where like a climbing stand. It didn't feel like that was very safe for him at this point. So it's got like you know the four legs that all are tied together. It's up and then it's got a platform at twelve feet and then the you know kind of a frame around it and then. It's not like a shooting house, but it's got the big camouflage cover, almost like you've got a big tent up there, and then the windows kind of zip out or whatever. So he was really excited about that. Um, he is kind of – I've never been a big hunter. Like, I've always loved being outside and, you know, I mean, I hunt some. Uh, he and I went once or twice last year. He's been with his grandfather a couple of times, with his brother or with my brother-in-law a couple of times, and he really likes it. So we'll see where this goes. Um, so we're, we're excited. We're going to try and set that up at some point this weekend. And uh, I think we got youth weekend coming up. So we'll see. See how it goes. But he's pretty excited. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. I never had a deer stand growing up, so could be fun. Um, hoops last night. FIU really kept it close. For pretty much the entire way. I was following the scores, hey, Dad. I wasn't able to watch it. But it felt like every time FIU would get it to four or five, Mississippi State would kind of push it back out just a little bit. And ultimately, they won by eight to get the season started on a good note. What were your observations from last night? It was funny. In the final seconds, Howland was just trying to get them to score one more time, going back to you know last year with the net ranking and the 10-point the margin. He, he was... Mm. Screaming, get up the court, get up the court, and, and Tyson Carter, you know, into the game. You just think, hey, time to let the clock run out. But they 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 couldn't get the bucket off. Um, as far as the the game itself, Reggie Perry very quiet, but he had you know thirteen points and seven rebounds. Robert Woodard quiet, but he had almost had a double double nine and eight. And then the the backcourt of Car- Carter and the freshman Iverson Molinar, they were very solid. Uh, you know, combined for thirty seven points, twenty three of those for Tyson Carter. You can tell State's missing Nick Weatherspoon because they just they're just sort of limited in their backcourt rotation right now. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of getting through that. But in the front court, you know, I like what they have there. I thought Keyshawn Fazell he played twenty five minutes last night. I don't know that he played forty minutes total last season, to be totally honest. He, but he, you know, four points, uh, three rebounds, and he he fouled out, which you know you think well, that's not that great. But then you think, okay, Adu only had one foul, Perry only had two, Woodard didn't have any, so he was taking a lot of the, the fouls that the starters. Didn't have to take, so he he played his role pretty well. I thought all in all they looked okay. You know they weren't world beaters by any stretch of the imagination, but they started out a little slow, and but once they got the lead, they held on to it the rest of the way. They pushed it out to twelve a couple of times, I think, and you know ended up winning relatively comfortably. But like you said, Florida International was very uh, very scrappy in this game. They they never did truly go away. Mississippi State shoots 54% from the field, 36% from behind the arc. Not a ton of free throws in the game. 10 of 17 from the line, 59% there. Probably like to see that number uh, be more like 65 to 
instead yeah. of fifty nine percent. And four of the four of the misses were from Iverson Molinar, the true freshman playing in his first game. So maybe chalk that up to a little jitters. Uh, most minutes played by anybody. Tyson Carter played thirty five minutes in the game, led all scorers with twenty three points, six steals. Uh, seven rebounds, three assists, but he did have eight turnovers. With um, with Witherspoon not being out there, it, it, you know, a total for Mississippi State of eighteen turnovers in the game. You'd like to see that number a little bit lower than that, but you can probably live with that. Um, eight though out of your point guard, not ideal. No, you know, Florida International runs a, a, a pretty much a full court press the whole game. And okay. Carter had some some issues with that, especially trying to make some long outlet passes. Had a couple intercepted uh, halfway, you know, at the half court line or whatever. Um, so, like you said, his line is really, really good, except for the turnovers. And I guess it's one of those things. You know, use the baseball adage, which is what my podcast partner Joel Coleman said: if you're driving in more than you're letting in, you're probably okay. And like I said, seven rebounds and six steals, pretty good for Carter. But you're absolutely right. I mean, eight turnovers isn't going to get it get the, get. The job done. He'll have to. That's when he'll have to work. And he addressed that after the game as well. He said, "Yeah, that's that's obviously what I'm going to be working on this the next few days before the next game on Friday." Hey, Dad, we were talking about Reggie Perry what a couple of weeks ago, and said that feels like this is a year where he could average a double double. And I think we were kicking around what 14, 15 points, and you know, ten and a half rebounds. That that type of double double, thirteen point seven rebounds. Overall stat line. Pretty good. In 31 minutes, he goes 6-11 from the field, 13 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, a steal, 2 blocks, and no turnovers. That's a stat line you can live with. I mean, if if I could tell you today Reggie Perry will average 13-7 and seven with 3 assists and 2 blocks a game, you take it and you don't ask any questions at all. But to your point a second ago, felt like a quiet-ish night to still put up a pretty good stat line, right? Yeah, he really didn't get going until, until about midway through the second half. Um, like I said, from a scoring perspective, just didn't have a lot of opportunities. Tried to take a couple of three-pointers, which I think is going to be something State has to keep an eye on. He, he's going to want to take some longer shots to show off some range for the NBA, but you know that's not what his game is. That's not how Mississippi State's going to win. So a couple of game I think everybody can live with. Um, but I think if, before the game, if you had told me Perry only had 13-7, and seven, I thought might have thought this game was going to be in doubt a little bit. Um, because I, I was expecting him, you know, first night back to have a little bit bigger game, but didn't really need it. Like I said, when you when you can lean on Carter and Molinar and, and DJ Stewart giving you eight points off the bench as well, along with three steals, a couple of assists, a couple of rebounds. I, I thought State's backcourt to be limited in the number of players was not limited in the uh, the way that they played. And then Perry, I agree with what you're saying. Thirteen, if he if he's a thirteen and seven kind of guy all season long, I, I think pretty much State's going to want to take that and, and get that uh, right up the, right up off the front. Basically a seven-man rotation last night. Aduro comes in and plays three minutes in the game. But mm. you had seven players who played 21 minutes or more. That obviously will change a little bit when Nick Weatherspoon is back for Mississippi State. But do you think it's a relatively short rotation? Although, if it's an eight-man rotation, that's probably enough, right? Yeah, I would I think it, you don't need too many more than eight. State only really went with eight last year. You went with the starters, the guys who were starting at the end of the season, plus Holman. Um, oh, gosh, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> Woodard. And uh, they had another guy. I can't remember who it was. But anyway, uh, but the thing with Aduro, Howland mentioned him after the, the, the game in the press conference, said he expects him to play more, that he just didn't. 
sort of the same thing you talked about with Woodard last year. Is I just I got to get him in the game more. So they'll, they'll try to find some more spots for him. I wouldn't be surprised to see him be a guy who gets you know eight to ten minutes a game once the the season starts to progress a little bit. You said that you thought Reggie Perry part of his game this year was going to be growing in the three point shooting con- uh, part of the game. Carter mm-hmm. goes five of nine from behind the arc. Uh, rest of the team zero of five. Nobody took a bunch of threes. Mm-hmm. It is, I mean, Carter likely to be the leading three-point shooter on this team. Mm-hmm. Who else is a candidate to take and make threes on a regular basis? I think DJ Stewart is. He didn't show off very much range last night, only 0 for, 0 for 1. I'm sorry, he didn't take a three-point shot, but he's got that range. And Nick Weatherspoon, when he comes back, is is a quality three-point shooter. He can, he can shoot from out there, too. And Woodard can do some of that as well, but he's such a good athlete, can get to the rim. I think that will be more of his game. So that was last night in uh, in Starkville, Mississippi State getting the win in the season opener, 77-69. They will return to action on Friday night when they host Sam Houston State. So that's a 7 o'clock game on Friday night after starting the year 1-0. Southern Miss got a win against Delta State last night to open their season 1-0. Ole Miss will play its season opener on Friday night against Arkansas State. That game's at 6 o'clock in the Pavilion. So that's hoops. You had a bunch of stuff with basketball getting started. Perhaps nowhere was uh, the, the their more disappointment than in Tuscaloosa. The Pennsylvania Quakers out of the Ivy League rolled into Coleman Coliseum, and they got a win last night. Monster game from Kyra Lewis Jr. He was the leading free throw shooter a year ago for Alabama. We'll tell you how the game ended, though, when we come back. Plus, look at what else happened with SEC teams getting the season started last night. There are some new faces in the league who are highly thought of coming into the season. Guess what? They performed at a really high level last night. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. for sophomore guard Kyra Lewis Jr. at Alabama. 30 points, but not enough, as the Penn Quakers beat Alabama at Coleman Coliseum on Tuesday night, 81-80. to 22 of the career-high 30 came in the second half for Lewis. He had a career-best eight rebounds, team-high five assists, played 38 minutes in the ballgame. A couple of newcomers for Alabama had double-digit scoring games. Jaden Shackelford had 16, and then they had a uh, grad transfer, Beetle Bolden. That's a name. Beetle Bolden with uh, 10 points off the bench. Uh, John Petty, who is a junior now on that Alabama team, 9.7 rebounds in the ballgame. Penn hits a driving layup with seven seconds left. Alabama gets the ball back. Kyra Lewis, who again has had a monster game, is fouled with 2.4 seconds remaining. 
Borky, one free throw to tie it, two to likely win it. He missed them both. And people tell you clutch isn't a real thing. Penn got the rebound, ran out the clock, secured the victory, 81-80. to So Nate Oates will have to wait for his debut win as the head coach of Alabama uh, for a few more days. Do you look that into means- stuff like that at all? Like, at all? What do you mean? First game with a new coach losing to Penn. I mean, does your opinion of Alabama... Or let's say if Mississippi State would have lost last night, would that have changed anything you thought about that team? Or is it basketball, sometimes you get beat, new system, new coach, first game, whatever? Kentucky got blasted by Duke a year ago in the season opener, and John Calipari said yesterday he thought they were good enough to win the national championship at the end of the year. So sometimes it takes some time. I mean, there's some. I would say not all losses are created equal, equally. Um, big pin though, reasonably good basketball team. But my concern, if I'm Alabama, would not be that they didn't win. It would be that they shot 36% from the field and 29% from behind the arc. I mean, if, if I'm looking for something to be concerned about. How much does the new three-point line affect that number? Because they moved it back to the FIBA level. How much was that? That was only like nine inches, right? Yeah, not a lot. Did you notice anything last night, hey, Dad, watching it in person for the first time? No, not really. Nothing, you know, there didn't seem to be any discomfort or guys shuffling their feet trying to find their place on the court. Um, you mentioned that State didn't shoot a very good percentage beyond Tyson Carter, but I don't think that had anything to do with the line. I feel like college basketball players are shooting deeper threes anyway because yeah. they've been watching NBA guys. I mean, because of the way the NBA is been played for the last few years and the fact that there's a trickle down to the way college players play as a result of watching the NBA guys shoot it from deep all the time so I I, I don't think that has a huge impact the thing that I like that they're doing this year is on an offensive rebound shot clock resets to 20 instead of 30 yeah Um, it's what 14 in the NBA so the same time difference that they knocked off 10 seconds yeah. I like that too. Other results last night in the opening night of the college basketball season. Florida led by Kerry Blackshear Jr., the transfer from Virginia Tech, in a 74 59 win over North Florida. Blackshear had 20 points. Leading score for UNF last night. You remember this name? J.T. Escobar? Former Ole Miss player had 15 points for uh, UNF. Auburn beat Georgia Southern 83-74. Samir Dowdy, 20 points to lead the Auburn Tigers. Anthony Edwards' debut for Georgia did not disappoint. A 19-point win for the Bulldogs, 91-72 over Western Carolina. 24 points for Anthony Edwards in his debut for the Dogs. Tennessee beat UNC Asheville by 15. They were a a 28-point favorite. Lamonte Turner had 17 for the Volunteers. Mason Jones goes for 32 last night for Arkansas in a 91-43 route of the Rice Owls. Um, so big night for Mason Jones. Isaiah Joe, who was a, a freshman All-SEC player a year ago, uh, last night for Arkansas, went 10 of 18 from the field and had 24 points. So 
Uh, and then the biggest game of the night involving an SEC team happened at Madison Square Garden, the Champions Classic. Number one, Michigan State. Number two, Kentucky. Kentucky won by seven. 69-62 over Michigan State. And they're really good. And there was a historic piece for Kentucky last night. The true freshman, Tyrese Maxey, out of Garland, Texas, went for 26 points. Most points by a freshman in his debut for Kentucky in school history. 26 points on 7 of 12, 3 of 7 from behind the arc, 9 of 10 from the line. Kentucky also got 11 points out of Ashton Hagens, 10 points out of Emmanuel Quickly, and they're pretty talented. Pretty darn talented. Maxi, by the way, came off the bench in the game. So uh, good win for Kentucky starting the season off. The, uh, the early game, the Duke-Kansas game, was sloppy. A lot of turnovers by both teams. Duke gets the win over Kansas. There are a lot of tweets about Kansas not being great in late-game situations. Oh, surprise, surprise. Is that a legitimate knock on Bill Self? Has Kansas traditionally been bad in that spot? I don't know. I mean, the one that sticks out now. Yeah. I didn't really feel like... Uh, they had 18 turnovers at halftime. That's a lot. wonder if he was a little distracted in his uh, preparation leading up to the season. It's tough to put together a Snoop Dogg concert. <laughs> Seems like, Borky, you might be uh, uh, referring to something besides Snoop Dogg. Yeah, like mounting a defense against the NCAA. Oh, well, he was a victim in that. Don't I wouldn't worry too much about it. Oh, maybe they were scarred by the dancing joints or whatever Snoop had running around there. <laughs> maybe so. Four games tonight involving SEC teams. North Alabama at South Carolina. Incarnate Word is at Missouri. What do y'all think of the ACC things they're doing, the schedule thing they're doing? Northwestern State at A&M. Southeast Missouri State is at Vanderbilt. Debut for uh, Jerry Stackhouse tonight as head coach at Vandy. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Is this the second year in a row that they've done that? I don't remember them doing this last year at the very beginning of the season, like season opener, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't I don't know that for sure. I don't remember it, though. I don't know if it was season opener. I do know they played some early conference games. Like early December, I thought, is what it was, and then finished the non-conference and got back to it in January, right? Wasn't there like a week or two where they did it? Yeah, I, I think you're right on that. But ACC going with conference games right out of the gate. So last night, you had a little bit of an upset with uh, Virginia Tech winning at Clemson. Louisville beat Miami down in uh, Coral Gables. Georgia Tech beat NC State in overtime. And then obviously Duke was playing Kansas in the uh, the Champions Classic. So tonight you get four more in the ACC. Wake Forest at Boston College. Notre Dame at number 9 North Carolina. Florida State at Pittsburgh and Virginia at Syracuse. I think it's a pretty fun way to start the year. But it's only a handful of teams, and it looks like it's only happening for two nights. I've got it pulled up, is why. Yeah, I mean, I have this has to be Friday. something about with the ACC network, right? They're just trying to, to drum up some interest there. I assume that's where most of these games are going to be found. Um, Yeah, combination of ACC network and ESPNU. Is it a good idea? I, I know you, you like the concept of it, but if... For the ACC, is it a good idea? Because now, 
in the middle of football season, you've wasted, air quotes, wasted conference games where you could have played them when football is no longer on people's minds, if that makes sense. Why would you want conference games in November when everybody's got football on the brain? I mean, literally the night they're releasing the college football playoff rankings when you can play Virginia Tech at Clemson when there's nothing else going on. Everybody's in basketball mode by then. Instead, you'll be playing, you know, Wofford or somebody. That's a bad example. That's a pretty good program, but you get my point. Well, what is, I mean, does one make that big of a difference when you play 19 or 20? Like, if you've got 19 no. left the rest of the year? No, but I mean, that's part of the thing is the ACC's playing 20 conference games, and they've got to get them in at some point. So why not just kind of start the season off with a splash? Maybe that's number one. Number two. SEC's playing 20 also, right? 18. 18. Um, but the other part of it is basketball matter, matters more in the ACC than it does in the SEC. So you got more basketball fans that are locked in right out of the gate, I would think. Um, my thing would be, if I'm a coach, do I really want a conference game on the opener of the season? I mean, Missouri's playing Incarnate Word. Virginia Tech had to go to Clemson. There's a big difference in those two. That's kind of like what John Calipari was talking about yesterday. He's like, it's hard to play these games in the season opener because people expect high-level play, and you're just probably not going to get that on the opening night of the season. But from a consumer standpoint, I love it. Sports Talk in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, hey, Dad, remember when a couple of weeks ago um, people were telling us and reporting that uh, Joe Moorhead was one of the top candidates for Rutgers? Yes, I remember that very clear- clearly. Th- th- that talk seems to have died down. Yes. It's all centered on Greg Schiano, but Butch Jones is considered to perhaps be the fallback plan. Part of the reason Schiano uh, has significant demands and it's not entirely sure whether or not Rutgers is going to be able to or willing to meet those. Uh, story from collegefootballtalk.com. Shiano is believed to want significant improvements to the football infrastructure in Piscataway, including an indoor practice facility that is a common recruiting tool on every rival Big Ten campus and would likely move the team out of the existing headquarters at the Hale Center It's likely that any project of that magnitude would need high-level university approval before it could be included in a contract. The next football coach's contract will need Board of Governors approval, and the university would need to call a special meeting to approve any deal. But uh, he wants that. Don't you know your coaching search has probably gone awry if Greg Schiano is leveraging you before he has a job? Butch Jones, who interviewed for the job last, uh, last week, is believed to be the backup plan if, uh, plan if the Shiano talks implode. It is clear, though, that Shiano's return to the Scarlet Knights is the university's top option. He was almost the head football coach at Tennessee. Remember? <laughs> yeah. 
And now the guy who was... he might have replaced might replace him and in, in, in Rutgers. Yeah. Um, do you think there was anything to the Joe Moorhead stuff, or was it just a name that got thrown out and because it was an SEC, a sitting SEC head coach, people took it and ran with it? Um, I tend to think there's always something. It's whenever you hear something like that, it's always in the middle. I doubt there was a ton of interest, but it might have been worth a phone call to an agent or something just to see what what the deal was. Mississippi State had to wear that for a full week, also. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're getting questions about it in press conferences. Players were being asked about it, and and all in all, it was probably much, very much, much ado about nothing. Yeah. Interesting. Uh... Interesting stuff there. If you want to be a part of the conversation, you can on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Jerry and Tupelo, are there any ACC fans other than Clemson's and Wake Forest that are still interested in football? Florida State fans are. They find out who their new coach is. Bob Stoops says it's not him. Florida State's athletics director says Bob Stoops is a candidate. Well, I saw a... Uh... A Twitter account today that said they were the number one source for Florida State news and said it's all but done for Nick Saban to come to Tallahassee. So. I saw that truth to the guys being facetious. The second tweet said Don Shula was coming. Did it? So he didn't. He yeah. didn't try to try like, really wear it. Ah, oh, that's that's disappointing. Yeah. Um, College football is like the epitome of one guy saying something and then people taking it legit seriously. Charlie asks this. He says, with Ole Miss being 32nd in the APR, will they go to a bowl game if they finish 5-7? and seven? He says, looks probable considering the teams ahead of them. Well, the first, the first question is whether or not there will be bowl slots available for teams with a 5-7 and seven record. And you've got a total of, what is it, 84 slots you've got to fill? 82 or 84, there are a bunch of bowl games. Maybe that's not the right number. I'll have to go back and count the number of bowl games to be uh, certain. I don't know. Honestly, I've not looked closely at that list. Uh, I do know that people have brought up the possibility of APR and getting to a bowl game, and I, I tend to think that, first of all, if you're 5-7, and seven, you don't deserve to go to a bowl game. 39 bowl games. 39 bowl games. 78 slots. And plenty of room for people to complain about too many bowl games. Um, but the second piece of that is, if you are 5-7 and seven Ole Miss, and you are invited to a bowl game, you go with bells on. And you're excited about the extra practice time. Rippy is especially excited about the extra time covering bowl practices. And... Uh, you're glad to get back in the postseason. Hey, Dad, did it feel weird when Mississippi State did that a few years ago? Uh, just a little bit, but once you got into the actual bowl preparation and watching the game, it just felt like anything else. Yeah. A little early to be talking about Ole Miss bowl game. Let's just win a game or two. That's Zach in Oxford. Hey, I don't disagree with that, Zach. But We're not um, on the team. What we say doesn't affect them winning games or losing games. Well, I was just going to say that I was responding to a question that another listener had on the ceasefire text line. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, hour number two in the Renaissance Bank studio after this. Okay, what about, what's the- 
Four o'clock hour, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Glad to have you along and glad to have Ryan Brown from the Jocks Roundtable on your radio right now on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Just another week in the state of Alabama, right, Ryan? <laughs> it's going to be a zoo over here, my man. I mean, everything from President Trump to Joe Burrow to Tua Tagovailoa, it's uh, it's going to be insane, man. Are, are people excited about the president coming to the game? Well, um, that's an interesting question. I, I think, you know, it, it's obviously a compliment to your school and your team if the president of the United States wants to come watch a game you played. But I think a lot of people are worry for a couple reasons. Number one, nobody really knows, understandably, what his travel schedule is. So, you know, are they going to try to motorcade down 2059 on a game day? That will be interesting, to say the least. Are they flying, you know, helicoptering into Tuscaloosa? Nobody really knows that. So I think people are really concerned about the traffic impact. And um, you guys might not be aware of this, but back in the uh, 2017 championship game against Georgia, when President Trump attended that game at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, there's four entrances, and one of them was closed, I think, for about an hour around his arrival uh, as the Secret Service secured that entrance. So a lot of Alabama fans got stuck out in a cold rain uh, with that gate closed. So while I think that maybe they understood the need for the security, I don't think it has left their mind that they might get stuck outside of Bryant Denny for a little while Saturday trying to get in. So excited, yes, but uh, if they're actually going to the game, fairly apprehensive, I think, about what it might mean. I think I know the answer to this question, but what do you anticipate the reception being for him if he's on the field before the game? Um, and I don't know if that's the plan or not. He did come on the field before the uh, Georgia game, and I think that okay. was fairly spontaneous. I don't know that that was planned initially. Um, I, I would think it would be very good. I mean, this is, to, to get political for a moment, a state, I don't have the numbers in front of it, but I think he carried by about 26 to 28%. Yep, um, and he still remains very popular in this state, um, which has voted heavily Republican for you know a couple decades now. So I would imagine I would imagine he would get a, a pretty good ovation, a pretty good welcome from uh, at least from the Alabama people. I cannot speak for the people that will be up from Louisiana, but I would think a pretty good ovation. My guess is it would be similar from the uh, folks in purple and gold. I just it's hard for me, and and again to use your words, not to make this political. But given his desire for the spotlight, if he gets to Bryant-Denny Stadium, it's hard for me to believe that he's not going on the field for the coin toss. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would disagree with you. Like I said, he did that for the Georgia game, and my understanding was that was, that was very last minute. If, if people don't remember, he walked out with some of our service members in uniform. Yeah. Now, they were obviously in uniform, not him, um, and stood with them. Um, for the Star Spangled Banner, for the national anthem. Um, and, you know, Alabama, and I don't know, you know, I, I certainly, again, I have no earthly ideas if these are plans, but Alabama does honor a veteran before every home game. And this being so close to Veterans Day and would be the last home game before Veterans Day, I would imagine, you know, they would probably do something even beyond what they normally do. So, you know, he may participate in that. I, I, as the commander-in-chief, I have no earthly idea. I, I would add, I think there are a lot of people, to kind of further answer your question, and this may be cultural, um, you know, depending on where you are in the nation uh, geographically, but I think there are a lot of people in this state that, whether it was President Obama or President Bush or President Clinton or President Trump, 
they believe, you know, you respect the office whether you like the person in it or not. And I think for a lot of people, that would affect the way they would react, whether they voted for President Trump or not, or if they, you know, like the job he's doing or not. I think for a lot of people, you show respect for the office and, you know, you, you don't you don't boo the office. So that, that's it's a novel concept. I, 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 yeah, I know. So, but that's all a total guess out of me. I, I don't know how it goes Saturday. Yeah. Hey, I, I, I should say to you, because we've not talked since it happened, congratulations. I know you have uh, been, uh, I don't know if long-suffering is the way to describe it, but a Nats fan for a really long time, get to uh, celebrate a World Series title. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, it's hard to be long-suffering when the franchise has only been around since 2005, but, you know, I've been with them every day from that point on, and it's it's kind of a long story. I'm sure you're listening to this one. You know, why in the world I would become a Western National fan? There's a story behind it, but... I uh, jumped on them on day one and have watched a lot of national baseball, wondering if they would ever even win a postseason series, much less a World Series. So that was a heck of a run, man. That was, uh, yeah. that was a great feeling. Being a yeah, Dolphins was... fan and a Nationals fan, I haven't been able to celebrate a whole lot of championships in my lifetime. So it was fun to at least celebrate one. Good for you. Glad uh, glad you got to enjoy it. Um, this matchup on Saturday that is getting so much attention nationally, so much attention regionally, and I know where you are, it's the only thing anybody's talking about, LSU and Alabama, it feels like the game could very well be different than it has been, and certainly a far cry from a few years back when you had 9-6. to six. Does it live up to the hype? Does this game get played in the 30s or possibly even in the 40s and become the instant classic that we talk about for years, or does it end up playing out differently? Yeah, this may be one of those answers that I look foolish for later on, but I honestly believe anything above 28 points is enough to win this game. I I think sometimes, and I'll give you a good example of this, it's like Oklahoma-Texas. Everybody thought that game was going to be a track meet. I don't have the final in front of it. I think that game was played in the 30s, and it was like 7 to nothing late first half. So I think sometimes what you expect is is obvious, isn't it? I'll give you another example. You remember last year's uh, Super Bowl. I thought that would be a high-scoring game. It was very low-scoring. So, you know, I think these are pretty good defensive players and defensive coaches, you know, with Saban and Dave Aranda and Pete Golding. So I I got a feeling these defenses are going to play a little bit better than everybody is accounting for. So um, I I think anything worth the 28, you've got enough points to win this game. The next time I'm over with you, if it's 42-41, you can feel free to replay this and laugh at me. But I, I think once you get above 28, you, you're you're within the point margin that you need to win this game. So I I don't I don't think it'll be quite as high scoring as most. Any, you know, here's another stat. And I can't remember the year this goes back to, but I want to say it goes back to the game of the century, the 2011 matchup. LSU is averaging nine points per game in this contest, going back to that. So, and I know this is a different offense than they've ever had, but this has traditionally been an extremely low scoring game for them. And it's been an incredibly physical game. And at times I've seen that physicalness from Alabama's defense this year, but it hasn't been consistent. And I feel like we've seen a little bit more of it over the last two or three games for LSU, maybe as they get a little bit more healthy, or or excuse me, I should say a little healthier. But also Michael Divinity is now out for the season for LSU, and he was their leading sacks guy and one of their you know kind of leaders on the defensive side. Will it be that physical matchup? Never mind what the actual score is, but is it going to be that kind of rock 'em, sock 'em, you know, rub some dirt on it type game? Yeah, I think, and to your point about Alabama getting a little bit better and LSU getting a little bit better, I think Alabama has improved as these freshmen up the middle have gotten a little bit older. I think that has helped them a lot. Um, 
Look, it's not going to be the 9-6 to type game where all 22 defensive starters in that game for Alabama and LSU were drafted in the NFL. I mean, that's insane to think about. Um, so I don't think you're going to get that type of game, but I do think this has traditionally been a hard-hitting physical game. And um, I, I do think you'll get that. Now, again, it, it's not going to be 9-6, to but that doesn't mean that there's not going to be some physical play and on both sides, really, because I think you know both these offensive lines are going to want to run the football, and it's something neither one of them have done to the level that they've done in years past. Uh, a lot of that by choice because they're doing it all so well. So, you know, I, I think there's a challenge that these offensive lines do to run when needed and you know, run on a third, fourth and short or whatever to pick up the first down. I'm sure you guys made your predictions on what the initial college football playoff uh, rankings were going to look like. Uh, we end up with Ohio State 1, LSU 2, Bama 3, and then Penn State 4. Is that what you anticipated do you agree with that initial ranking, at least in the top four or five? I don't have a strong disagreement with it. It is not what I anticipated. I thought you would have LSU on Ohio State two. Um, I thought Alabama would be three, so that didn't surprise me. But I, th- I thought they would stop Clemson at four. So I guess my two surprises were Ohio State at one and Penn State actually in the top four. So yeah. I think that's a surprise. I, I don't have a huge issue with what they did. I mean, I think Ohio State, on the eyeball test to me, Right now, looks like the best team in the country. Uh, they're blowing people's doors off. They're really good on both sides of the football, but they also haven't been tremendously challenged. Nor has Alabama. You know, LSU has been tremendously challenged. They look like a pretty complete team as well. I mean, I think you're splitting hairs at this point to try to separate Alabama, LSU, and Ohio State. And you know, Clemson is just—I th- I think they're paying a price for a bad ACC. And I think it looks like the people in the committee almost consider the North Carolina game only half a win, if not a loss. Yeah. Um, they, they seem like they're punished for barely avoiding overtime against North Carolina. Maybe they should be, but I do think they've played much, much better football since then. It's, it's just that, I mean, they're not tested. They don't they don't play anybody week in, week out, so it's really hard to gauge what they are. And really won't get tested until they play a playoff semifinal game. Just no test on the schedule coming up, and maybe that's not no, fair. I mean, Wake Forest is, yeah, Wake Forest is 7-1, and one, but I don't think any of us believe they can really play with one. No, no, not at all. No, it's a fun week uh, in the state of Alabama. Ryan, always appreciate your time, and I uh, look forward to visiting with you again soon. All right, Richard, be good, man. It's always fun. Absolutely. Ryan Brown from the Jocks Roundtable, WJOX in Birmingham. Early in the mornings in Beeham. Sports Talk Mississippi. Ryan joined us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. We're back after this in the Renaissance Make Studio. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Always fun to visit with Ryan Brown from the Jocks Roundtable. Interesting thoughts on the President of the United States showing up at Alabama LSU on Saturday, and he thinks it's going to be a lower-scoring game. You guys agree on that front? I I say lower-scoring game. Lower-scoring than a lot of people are anticipating. I I don't think it's... I don't think it's going to be 45-42 or anything like that. And I could definitely see what he said about being a slow start and then picking up as the game goes on. Um, but, I mean, if the game finished something like 31-28, which to me is a low-scoring game considering these offenses, I wouldn't be totally surprised. Would you rather watch a 31-28 Alabama game that tells you there were some big defensive plays in it, or would you rather it just be full-on – back and forth, up and down the field shootout where somebody wins it 
47-45. Well, for me, as a, as a just an unbiased observer, I'd like to watch the shootout. I'd like to watch Tua and Burrow go head-to-head and, you know, get, get it all out there. That's what I would rather see. But defense has its place. I'm going to go with what Bob Shoup said about defense last year. He said, you know, even in a game that's 45-42, somebody made a defensive play to win the game. That's how you have to look at it. By the way, Vegas has the total at 63.5, and and it has stayed steady with Alabama favored by 6.5. As of right now, cheapest ticket just to get in the door, 269. Nice. Uh... Power rankings at ESPN. Haydad has continued to beat the drum of the New Orleans Saints being the best team in the NFL. It's true. Folks at ESPN say San Francisco is the best team in the NFL, followed by one loss New England, followed by one loss New Orleans. The rest of the top five, ball, oh well, maybe the top ten. San Fran, New England, New Orleans, Baltimore, Kansas City, Seattle, Green Bay, Houston, Minnesota, and then the L.A. Rams. Neutral field, I'd probably take San Francisco slightly over New Orleans right now, but it'd be close. What about over New England? Neutral field. Yeah, I would take New. I would take San Francisco. I'm not. I think New England's still pretty good, and they'll cakewalk to the. Like a top seed in the playoffs in the AFC, but like that was the first actual team they played, and they kind of got exposed a little bit. Yeah, their best win is at Buffalo when Kyle Allen got hurt, and I think they scored. Yeah, that's right, they scored 16 points in the game. If you can pressure Tom Brady like the Ravens did, I yeah, they didn't. They looked human in that defense that people were calling the greatest defense ever. Not really, they're good. Hey, Dad. Other than the fact that you have a Florida lead tattooed on your left cheek what is your rationale or argument for new orleans as the top team in the country it's on the right sorry in the nfl get get it it's on the right cheek get it right get it right yeah sorry uh well i mean i look at them and the way they were able to win with their backup quarterback i don't believe the patriots or the 49ers would be able to do the same i think the defense is maybe one of the best in the league they have the most dynamic receiver in the league in michael thomas they have maybe the most dynamic running back in the league in Alvin Kamara, and now Drew Brees is back. What's not to like about this team? Well, it's not the question of whether or not you like the team. I think we I'm just saying. Like I, I think that I just think that they are better than the Patriots and the 49ers this year. Based on just an eye test, or is there like something that you think they do? I think they're better defensively better than, than those other two teams. I think they're better defensively than both of those teams. And I think that Brady's a better all-time quarterback for sure. But he and Brees, I mean, it's, 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 not, it's not a huge margin. I like the Saints playmakers better. I like Kamara and Thomas better than anybody you're going to give me on the 49ers and, uh, and the Patriots. I like Saints O-line too. I mean, Ramchick is a future pro bowler. Uh, there's, uh, there's just a lot to like about this team. They, got, they have talent at every, every group. You disagree, Rippy? I mean, I would take San Francisco, but it'd be close. I think San Francisco has more speed offensively. Defense, probably a wash. I thought you just said a second ago that they weren't better defensively than San Francisco. Who? New Orleans. No, New England. I don't think New England's defense is as good as people cracked it up to be. 
I think they're very similar to San Francisco and New Orleans, very similar level defensively. I don't know. Borky, what do you think? I would say that it's about a wash. Uh, probably so. Um, I mean, New Orleans is like... I think the Saints get after the, the quarterback better. Ooh, Bosa's pretty good. Than New England. I think there's, oh, your, there's oh, okay, your difference. Okay. I think the Saints get rush the passer better, have more dynamic pass rushers than the Patriots do, and that would be the difference. And... When looking at New England, and Tom Brady's one with guys, I mean, it's a running joke at this point that Bill Belichick will go find like the John Rice Plumley of Toledo and make him a superstar, but this is the least explosive the Patriots offense has been as far as athletes, available athletes, in a very long time. I mean, people forget that even though, again, it was a running joke and, you know, it's a system that is great and Belichick's a great coach and can make any player good. I mean, Gronkowski, if he would have kept playing, is an all-time great tight end. I mean, they had explosive athletes and explosive receivers and playmakers, and this year it seems to me like they are lacking in that regard. I think San Francisco offensively, too, is a little underrated because, you know, their running backs' names are Matt Breida and Tevin Coleman, but they're faster than just about any other group in the league in there, and they have the best tight end in football. Emmanuel Sanders not bad either. It's close. I mean, it, the NFC is really good, and those are the two best teams in the NFC if you take out the Pats because, you know, they play in the AFC, but it's close. Would I be crazy right now if I said that in the AFC, when Patrick Mahomes comes back healthy, that the Chiefs are right now ahead of New England and Baltimore? I think the Chiefs' defense isn't good enough, though. And I guess you'd have to see Mahomes healthy because those last three games that they lost, like he didn't look right, but they also looked awful. So how do you balance that? But I would actually say Houston, even without Watt, if they can keep Watson healthy, might be a little bit more of a threat to New England than Kansas City is. Because I just see in January, Belichick would, though, even with the, like Brady and everything you were talking about, just absolutely schematically torch uh, Kansas City's defense. What do you do with Baltimore? I don't know. They're kind of the enigma here. Does that actually work? In they're fun, aren't they? Yeah, they're. It's it's a lot of fun to watch. Does that actually work when you get into the postseason and all of that? Like, because you remember last year they got embarrassed by Lamar Jackson got embarrassed a little bit by the Chargers in a playoff game at home, and everybody kind of wrote him off. And then he improved as a passer, and they kind of retooled everything they did towards him. And it looks like a much better version of it. Is it sustainable? I think so, but. Like, them playing New England in January in Foxborough is going to be a different story than what they did Monday night. Yeah. We get or a, Sunday night, excuse me. A bit of a take here on the text line. I would take Julian Edelman, James White, along with Tom Brady over Breeze, Kamara, and Thomas. Well, you would be the only one. Yeah. Edelman is really good. Like, yeah, he's he not good so with good. Brady. He's good He's good. Himself. He's not Michael Thomas good. I, mm, I think it's closer a, there than you think, but everywhere else I would take him He's a different type player than Michael Thomas, though. Well, but if I Isn't have to he? draft a receiver, I need receiver RW1. I'm sorry, WR1. Who am I taking? Thomas or Edelman? And that was John and Brookhaven, by the way. Well, you're taking Michael Thomas. Yeah. And then Kamara and James White. Come on. Come on. All I would say, hey, Dad, and this is not trying to be first takey, write the New England Patriots off at your own peril. 
Oh, I don't write them off. They'll be in the Super Bowl. They'll be playing the Saints in all likelihood. They'll 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 win the uh, the AFC. I think we might be getting Jimmy G and Brady, which would be kind of fun. We haven't seen Garoppolo in these situations yet either. Both quarterback matchups are fun. Jimmy G versus Brady or Breeze versus Brady. Those are what we want. Also, is there anything to the Saints just not being able to finish games the last two years in the postseason? Like, eventually that's got to add up to something. I mean, it's not nothing. There's something to that, but, I mean, last year we're not going to really put that on them with what happened with the officiating. And then two years ago, that's a, an all-time fluke play. It happens. It happened. But to say they couldn't finish, they were losing. They came back to take the lead, and then they just make one incredibly fatal error. I do worry. I mean, Breeze at the end of last year was not even close to the same. It looked like he had a dead arm. And, you know, Larry Holder from The Athletic wrote a thing with all these advanced stats claiming that, you know, that wasn't really the case. My eyes told me that Drew Breeze was lacking, especially throwing the football down the field at the end of last season. Maybe this break does something, but that's the the question, right? Is Can Drew Brees, and he will be 41 when the playoffs come, have the stamina that can win playoff games and potentially maybe on the road because right now San Francisco's in the driver's seat? Maybe the injury gave him that little uh, extra rest. Rippy, Keith and Vaden wants to fight you, I think, for bringing up the end-of-game situations. Steven in Vicksburg says two words for Saints, Taysom Hill. Here's one. Sony Michelle is better than James White. Quinn says that listener is smoking clickums. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday afternoon. Seaspire text line open 601 879 4395. At Seaspire Business, they think your organization deserves more than a one size fits all phone system. That's why they work with you to build a voiceover IP solution perfect for your needs. Take advantage of a limited-time offer and learn more at cspire.com slash business. Um, sticking with the NFL, the Falcons have been good and terrible this year. Matt Ryan, though, will return for the Falcons on Sunday in New Orleans. Falcons quarterback Matt Ryan, who has been dealing with an ankle sprain, and cornerback Desmond Trufant, who's had turf toe, are set to return to practice on Wednesday, according to Coach Dan Quinn. Does this change anything at all for the uh, for the Falcons against the Saints? Probably I mean, not. No. Probably not, but Matt Ryan has sneaky been really, really good for the last two years on terrible football teams. And he was on pace this year before his injury for throwing for, doing the math in my head, like 4,500 yards on 70% completions. Had a hell of a year last year, too. It just gets buried because his team, and they had a lot of injuries on defense last year, but just sneaky, been really good, and... That just goes to show you that when people say, like the Dolphins, you know, tanking for a quarterback, decimating your roster to get one guy, that's still not going to win you games in the NFL. You need a quarterback. You're not winning without one, but he's been excellent, really good, and they're still just hot garbage. 
Matt Ryan missed the last game that stra- uh, snapped a streak of 163 consecutive starts. Matt Schaub started the game. I didn't know he was still in the NFL. They brought him back. He was coaching uh, high school football somewhere. Wasn't he? Threw in for the- 460 yards. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't it him that was coaching high school football and like he joined his team via Skype on Friday before the game to give him their speech. Wasn't that Matt Schaub? Hey guys, go give it your best. I got to go uh, make an NFL check. I'll be back with you next week. I know. Uh, wait, no, never mind. That was. I thought it was McCown, but McCown put the ESPN job on hold to come back from yeah. Philly. Does not sound like Patrick Mahomes is going to start the game for the Chiefs in Nashville against the Titans on Sunday, but maybe Chiefs quarterback Pat Mahomes one day away from the three-week anniversary of his dislocated kneecap. Why does that sound so much more painful than some injuries? Is that just like my brain, or or when you hear that dislocated kneecap, do you go, eh. That's high on the list of things that'll make you wince. Yeah. Especially watching him move it back into place. You slide it back in. Pop. It was Matt Moore, not Matt Schaub in Kansas City, who was the high school football coach that came out of coaching to play while Mahomes was hurt. Wait, he wasn't already on the team? Because he was, Mahomes didn't finish that game, and Matt Moore came into the game. This was heading into the season. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, and gotcha. he's still like involved with his team. Okay. So the first game in the three to six range window, which was kind of the return timeline for Patrick Mahomes, is this Sunday. Will he play? Andy Reid said we won't put him out there unless it's safe to do so. People kind of pointed to him sprinting onto the field after the Chiefs won that game going, eh, it doesn't really look all that hurt. Reid added that Mahomes' practice workload will increase in an effort to see how he responds. But again, will not say one way or the other whether or not Mahomes is going to play in Nashville. What do you think? Does he play against the Titans on Sunday or no? They don't need him to. Bad division, playing a bad team. Yeah, it's, 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 it feels sort of like what the Saints were going to do with, with, with Breeze, right? They, they brought him back, but they, they felt like they were sure. But we were all questioning it because they were playing the Cardinals and he thought they could beat them either way. So it's sort of the yeah. same thing here to me. I'm fascinated by the Titans. People say that they're the most boring team in the NFL, and you know maybe they are because they're never, maybe. They're never terrible but they're never good enough to be interesting either. But now they've got a situation because Mariota's at the end of his contract or close to it. They need to, to move on from him. He's not getting it done. It's not working for him. And right now you've got another guy who's been a starter in the NFL. So do you deal them both and draft a quarterback? I'm interested to see what they actually do there because they've got two quarterbacks, both of them starters in the NFL right now. Uh, one got benched on his current team for a reason. The other got benched on his old team because he couldn't stay healthy. So now what do you do? Cam Newton. And that would make a ton of sense, actually. Except that he's out for the year. 
Talking about next year. Oh okay. yeah. Um, Mike Vrabel, by the way, pointed out the same thing that I did just a second ago, and that was that Tennessee's preparing to face Mahomes, pointing to the game-winning field goal celebration where Mahomes sprinted onto the field. Mentioned it earlier in the week, it is now official. Nick Foles will return as the starter in Jacksonville. Minshew mania is over. Doug Marone announced yesterday that Foles would regain his starting job from rookie Gardner Minshew beginning with the November 17th game at Indianapolis. Minshew has started the past eight while Foles was recovering from a broken collarbone sustained in the season opener. Perhaps part of the reason they are starting Foles is because they signed him to a four-year $88 million contract with $50 million and change guaranteed and he didn't even make it to halftime of the season opener before getting hurt. Probably want to see what you've got. It was the 11th snap of the game offensively for the Jaguars when Chris Jones, former Mississippi State lineman, currently with Kansas City Chiefs, landed on him as Foles was letting the ball fly on a 35-yard touchdown pass to DJ Shark. Minshew was fun. Kept their heads above water. What do we do with Gardner Minshew going forward? Chase Daniel. Think so? Yeah, he'll make a ton of money for a few years. I say a few years, a lot of years. Be the Matt Moore. There's always two guys in the NFL where you're not positive how they're not starters, but yet kind of see it at the same time, but not quite backups. Right in there. I mean, he's got the same kind of allure as... Fitzmagic. You just hope he doesn't have the same downfall after three games like Fitzmagic does. He was good. Led the Jaguars to a 4-4 four and four record in his debut, 22-25, of 25, 275 yards, couple of touchdowns and a pick. Nearly had another couple of other come from behind. I mean, he's, he's one complete, completed pass from being 5-3 and three instead of 4-4. Four and four. They got routed, obviously, this past Sunday by the Texans in London, but... I think you're on to something. And and look, Gardner Minshew is a competitor, and that guy wants to be playing, and he wants to be playing every week and every down and you know never come out of the game. I get that. But as we talked about before, there are a lot worse ways to make a living in life than as a backup quarterback in the NFL, especially if you can do it for about 12 years. And an opportunity will come for him. I mean, it's not a knock either. He was a long shot to make the roster. Starting out, like he's now going to have a long career in the NFL. Seems pretty sweet. I completely agree with you. Is he a guy that will stick with one team for a long time as a backup? Or will he get you know bounced around every year or two for the next decade? Might not be a bad spot for him in Jacksonville. Foles it's hard is- to tell with backups, it just depends on the demand. Yeah. He'll be on the upper like tier of backups, though. Like somebody goes down in 2019, 20, or early in you know, preseason or whatever, in 2018, 2019, it's probably on the short list. Yeah. I say 2018. I don't know why I said that. 2019, 2020 season. Wonder if he will uh, keep the mustache. I don't know. On this day in sports history, coming up next, we're going to take you. All the way back to 1869.
Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio on this Wednesday, November 6th. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dan, had to slip out. Mississippi State uh, finishing up practice early on this Wednesday afternoon of a bye week, and so they uh, have their post-practice availability coming up. It is time for... This day in sports history. And it's brought to you each and every week by Acoustic Wave. Forky, this one's pretty interesting, right? If you're a college football fan, it's the best one so far. So let's do it. On this day in sports history, presented by Acoustic Wave, 1869, the first ever college football game was played. The College of New Jersey, which is now Princeton of the Ivy League, and Rutgers College played on November 6, 1869. The rules governing play were based on the London Football Association's 1863 rules that disallowed carrying or throwing the ball. For spectators, therefore, the game more closely resembled soccer than football as we know it today, and more so the match was actually played with a soccer ball. Because gridiron football developed from the rules of association football and rugby football, many also considered the game that was played on November 6th to be the first gridiron game and the first collegiate football game. Final score, Rutgers 6, Princeton 4, or College of New Jersey 4, if you prefer. Because the game was played at Rutgers, it was also played under Rutgers rules. They were based on the football association's rules of the game, in which two teams of 25 players attempted to score by kicking the ball into the opposing team's goal. The teams played 10 games against each other. When a team scored a goal, it counted as the end of that game, and the team with the most goals after 10 games was the winner. Obviously, this format did not resemble the game of college football as we know it today, the first such game in the United States in which the ball is advanced by physically picking it up and running where play is stopped by knocking down the ball carrier, and each team fields 11 members. Well, that was played on June 4th of 1875 between Tufts and Harvard Colleges. William J. Leggett, later a distinguished clergyman at the Dutch Reformed Church, was the Rutgers captain. William Gamir, who later became Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of New Jersey, captained the New Jersey squad. Game was played in front of about 100 spectators. Kind of like a Rutgers game today. <laughs> Sorry. Hey-ho. Hey-ho. Players from Rutgers wore scarlet-colored turbans and handkerchiefs to distinguish themselves from the New Jersey players. The scarlet of the Rutgers Scarlet Knights came from this particular episode. Okay, so I have to ask this. Oh, by the way, hold on. you got to hear this. And what might be considered a beginning to college football rivalries immediately after Rutgers won the game, New Jersey's players were literally run out of town by the winning Rutgers students. The New Jersey students reportedly jumped in their carriages and quickly made the 20-mile trip back to their campus. That's fantastic. Why, though, do we mark that as the first college football game, Borky, 
instead of the game that happened in 1875, six years later, where they actually played football. I don't know. I don't make the rules. You have an opinion? Well, because it was the development of a new sport. So it was football, basically a physical soccer, but it just had to advance from there into the football that we knew later on. So it was the genesis of that sport that evolved into something else, which is what we now know as football. I guess that's why they do that. Okay. That is this moment in sports history brought to you by Acoustic Wave Treatment of Mississippi. If you have pain in your body, Acoustic Wave has an effective pressure wave therapy that can treat any kind of joint or muscle pain with no incision, no scars, and no downtime. Many have even experienced a full recovery in just two to six weeks. Call Acoustic Wave Treatment of Mississippi to book your appointment. Check out their website, AcousticWaveMS.com. That's AcousticWaveMS.com. 1869, November the 6th, a long time ago, the beginning of college football. Hard to believe that William Leggett, William J. Leggett, and Will uh, William Gummier or Gummier could have imagined what college football would come, uh, what would become of college football from that first game that was played in New Jersey. Sports Talk Mississippi, college football fix is coming your way next. We'll take a complete look at the first. College football playoff top 25 poll. Back after this, 5 o'clock hour is next in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you rolling into the 5 o'clock hour. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank. Or they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Maybe you're thinking about building a dream home in the country. Or maybe it's buying that piece of land that has your favorite fishing hole on it or the favorite spot for you to stick a deer stand or just get away from everybody. Now, Mississippi Land Bank gets it. They've been financing and refinancing land and all that goes along with this, uh, all the, that goes along with it for a really long time, like more than 100 years, and they can help you with your land purchase. Visit them online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. It is time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. The F-Series is the best-selling truck in America for 42 straight years. You can test drive it today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. All right, so you got the initial playoff rankings last night from the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. Not a ton of surprises. You had five American Athletic Conference teams ranked in the top 25. So here's your list. 25 working to number one. We'll do it in groups of five. 25 to 21, SMU, Navy, Oklahoma State, Boise State, Memphis. 20 to 16, Cincinnati, 
Wake Forest, Iowa, Minnesota, Kansas State. So currently, Cincinnati is the highest-ranked non-Power 5 team. 15 to 11. Notre Dame, Michigan at 14, Wisconsin, Baylor undefeated at 12, one spot behind Auburn at number 11. 10 to 6, Florida at number 10, despite having two losses. Oklahoma 9, Utah undefeated, or excuse me, one loss Utah at number 8, one loss Oregon at number 7. And it gets interesting. Georgia 6. And then everybody in front of them undefeated. Clemson at 5. Penn State at 4. Alabama at 3. LSU at 2. And Ohio State at number 1. So we'll obviously spend the majority of the time kind of looking at and talking at those top 4, maybe even the top 8, you know, that could get into that top 4. But what stands out to you about the top 25 with where teams are ranked, maybe outside the top eight? Dave Clawson's done a really nice job at Wake Forest. Uh, seeing them at 19 is deserved. I think it's a good football team. and They're not going to challenge Clemson, but he's done a really nice job there. Baylor being undefeated at 12 is a little surprising. And then Minnesota, I know they haven't played anybody, and basically all of their games have been close. But you have an undefeated Big Ten team, 5-0 and in their league, at 17 behind Kansas State, Notre Dame, and Michigan, Wisconsin, teams with multiple losses. I agree with where they are. I'm just surprised that they're there. So in front of Minnesota, Kansas State has two losses. Notre Dame has two losses. Michigan has two losses. Auburn has they have two, two losses. Florida has two losses. Whew. That's a good point, Borky. What about Georgia? Home loss to South Carolina, their only setback of the year. They do have the win against Notre Dame, who checks into the poll at number 15. Meanwhile, Oregon... Only one loss this year. It is to number 11 Auburn, but they are a spot behind Georgia. Am I crazy if I like Oregon's resume better than Georgia's? I don't think you're crazy. And it's it would be splitting hairs, and Georgia's probably the better team, but you mentioned that one loss and shoulda, coulda, woulda, but... They should have won that football game. A fluky, bad pass that ended up being a touchdown lost that game for them. They've since gone to Stanford and won. Uh, They beat Cal, who at the time, I believe Garbers was still healthy. Uh, They went to Washington and won. They beat Washington State. They went to Southern Cal and scored a billion points last week. There's a path for them sneaking their way back up there and maybe making the playoff. So the American has as many teams in this top 25 as the SEC. Well, yeah, they're they're just all nineteen or lower, right? Yeah, but why are they treated the same as every other group of five conference? And at this point, that seems very silly. Are they? What What do you mean? Why are they treated the same? Like in terms of their ceiling? I'm not following exa- exactly what you're asking. Like they're I don't know they're viewed as the same as every other group of five conference. They don't really have a way into the national title game, but your league has five in the top twenty five. SMU. 
at 25, Navy at 24, Memphis at 21, Cincinnati at 20. Who am I missing? That's four. It's Boise State's from out west. Uh, maybe it is four. Yeah, yeah, four in the top 25. So I one may less. have said five. Uh, it's five from the non-Power 5 leagues. Well, for perspective, though, I mean, Cincinnati's arguably the best team in that league, and, I mean, they were completely non-competitive against Ohio State, but say they would have won that game, where would they be? It's a good question. If they were undefeated and had a win against Ohio State? I mean, they're top ten. They're... Ish, yeah. I'm not going with the whole they should be in the playoff UCF thing. I just think there needs to be probably something done. They're not the same as every other group of five league. But, but the highest ranked team in the I don't AAC. I what you want done, though. I don't know. Like, it's almost like there should, like, because this is an argument for another day, but, like, it almost feels as if it's closer to the Fowler Six because you don't really see that many multi-team representation that consistently for any other group of five league. Yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. I'm with you. Just that league but, but having I, the same ceiling as every other team in every other group of five conference seems kind of... What ceiling? The one spot you get for the group of five team in the... New Year's Six, that's it. I mean, they if they had a team that was ranked highly enough, they could get another one in there. What are the odds of that, though? Not very. I mean, not very good at all. But part of it is because of strength, right? Yeah. I mean, you got four or five really good teams in there. But if you look at the really good teams, look at who they are. I mean, again, Cincinnati got – they did not belong on the field with Ohio State. And I, Ohio State's a different animal, but they didn't belong on the field with them. That's the best team in the league. Navy lost to Memphis. Memphis has a bad loss on their schedule. SMU – so – Well, Memphis's loss to Temple is not a bad loss. Five and three Temple for what we're trying to convince ourselves is a league that should be in the same standing as the SEC, or not in the same standing, but deserves a higher standing. I mean, that isn't a bad loss if that's one of the best teams in the league. Uh, again, I, I'm not. I mean, I'm not trying to beat the the same question down, and I'm not being critical when I say this. I just, uh, what what do you want for them that they don't have? I mean, they don't have great bowl tie-ins because their teams are not as attractive to big bowl games. They don't have a great television contract, not because it, it's because people are less interested in watching those teams on national platforms on a weekly basis. Probably also a little bit of a two-way street, though. The reason they're less interested is because there's not really much of a ceiling. Like they don't have a national title to win. But yeah, I mean, we but. I mean, okay. Do Mississippi State and Ole Miss and Arkansas and Vanderbilt and Kentucky? Mathematically, yeah. The overall strength of the schedule is not ever going to be good enough for those teams playing in that league to vault themselves into a top-four spot. Yeah, it's just interesting. Tough spot to be in. Yeah, it certainly is. You don't think undefeated Cincinnati... With a win over Ohio State, and then it would also require they also beat UCLA this year and a win at Memphis. 
UCLA's. I know, but that's still two Power Five wins, including the Big Ten's best. So, so, so you're going to take a Cincinnati who wins the American and has won. I mean, the win over Ohio State would be the difference maker. Right. So there is a, I mean, it's a distant path, but there is a path. Undefeated Cincinnati would deserve it over a one-loss Georgia. Mm. Maybe. But And if that's not the case, then, as Rippy alluded to, just let them play for a different championship. Which is what we've talked about and advocated for for a while. I wasn't advocating for And then Luke came down and told us that uh, that's a bad idea. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. All right, so what about the uh, the top of the college football playoff poll? I told you that I thought that I was convinced that it was going to be LSU 1, Ohio State 2, Clemson 3, Penn State 4, Alabama 5. I got to thinking about that after the announcement was made, and I realized that I was giving Clemson more credit than um, than they deserved. Because what you had ultimately was Ohio State 1, LSU 2, so those two were flip-flop from what I predicted. Alabama 3, which I had them outside of the top five. Penn State at 4, which is where I had them, and then Clemson at 5. Borky, why didn't you remind me that Clemson's schedule was weaker than Alabama's schedule so far? Why didn't I remind you? Yes, you should have reminded me that Clemson's schedule was weaker than Alabama's so far. How much weaker is it, though? I mean, I guess at some point nobody's played nobody, and the reason that Alabama and Clemson uh, have a schedule that seemingly doesn't look strong is because they're so good, but Alabama's best win is... At A&M? Texas A&M. They beat Duke. New Mexico State, who's 0-8. South Carolina, who has an impressive win... And that was on the road. Southern Miss, Ole Miss, A&M, Tennessee, Arkansas. Might even be Tennessee at this point. No, the A&M wins better than the Tennessee win. It was on the road. Tennessee was at home. But still, I mean, that that's not a whole lot there. That's probably Clemson's best win as well. Even though it was at home. It's probably still Texas A&M. A&M. Yeah, and you know, we talked with Ryan Brown about it earlier. I mean, it feels pretty clear that the committee really didn't like the close win against North Carolina. So Clemson has a win against Georgia Tech. They beat A&M by two touchdowns. If you want to compare that, Alabama beat A&M 47-28. They beat Syracuse handily, but Syracuse has turned out to be bad. They beat Charlotte. They beat North Carolina 21-20. No trouble with Florida State. No trouble with Louisville, who's a decent team. Smoked Boston College and then beat Wofford 59-14. And what's coming up? I mean, NC State? They just lost by 34 to Wake Forest. Wake Forest in the next last game of the year and then South Carolina. A road game. Yeah, they deserve to be where they are. I mean, Penn State has an objectively better resume than them. And it's all but, going but, to but work Clemson, itself out and prove to be irrelevant. That, yeah, you're right. You you say Clemson deserves to be where they are, but they're number... Oh, I'm sorry, they're number five. I was looking at what I'd written down. Yeah, Clemson's but, yes. right where they belong. 
But top six about to cannibalize itself. LSU Alabama this Saturday. Penn State Ohio State November twenty third. Georgia against the winner of LSU Alabama in the SEC championship game. Ohio State has a game against number fourteen Michigan still to play at the end of the year. Alabama will face number eleven Auburn. Penn State will face number seventeen Minnesota this weekend. Clemson Wake Forest. Georgia number eleven Auburn. So all of the teams that are in the top six have games against teams that are ranked in the top 25. And then outside the top six, it feels like everybody needs some help, right? Right. And so it'll come down to a decision between one-loss teams and not conference champions. Like I keep going back to Oregon for some reason because – Let's pretend Alabama loses this weekend. We just mentioned that their schedule is terrible. They have Auburn left, but a one-loss Alabama without a conference championship. People will think this is a stupid question, but really think about it. Would they deserve to get in over a one-loss Oregon who wins the Pac-12? I don't think they wouldn't get. I don't think they would get in. And you heard Kirk Herbstreit kind of make the point the other night about that same thing. I don't think that's stupid or ridiculous. I don't. All right, say the question again. Would a one-loss Alabama, with that loss being to LSU, obviously not going to and winning a conference championship, would a one-loss Alabama deserve a spot in the college football playoff over a one-loss Pac-12 champion Oregon, who would have to beat Utah to get there, or vice versa for that matter? A one-loss Oregon or one-loss Utah who has to beat the other one, a top-ten team, and winning their conference, which one would deserve that spot? I feel like the playoff committee gives credence to winning the conference when it's convenient. They were inconsistent with their messaging last night, too, about eye test and... Eye test versus schedule strength, right? Right. Almost like a real playoff would fix this. Almost. Well, Borky, tell me what... Let's say that LSU beats Alabama on Saturday by a field goal. How far does Alabama drop in the standings? So Ohio State, Penn State, Clemson will all win this weekend? Not... Yes. Not behind Georgia. So they would fall to five. Really? Georgia has Missouri and Athens this weekend. Missouri's bad on the road. They'll win that game. But, I mean, Georgia's loss is just significantly worse than LSU. However, they do have – I don't know. Now you got me thinking because Georgia has a better win, and that's Notre Dame. I mean, you can only fall so far. Right. But they're not dropping below the the Pac-12 teams. It's either five or six. That's the lowest they'll go. Well, then maybe you just answered your question. But then that can change because let's... And somebody texts in, Oregon would beat Alabama by 20. Maybe they would, but you can't talk about resume. Wait, say what? Yeah, somebody, 662 here, uh, doesn't have a name that I see. 
Alabama beats Oregon by 20 on a neutral field. You can, I don't think that that would be the case. But oh, I thought you said it the other way around. The oh, first did time. I? You I'm said sorry. Oregon beats Alabama by 20. I was like, what? Uh, I guess I have dyslexia. I didn't know about. But maybe that would be the case. But I mean, they talk about as you mentioned conveniently winning conference championships. And for one of these two Pac-12 teams to win the Pac-12 will require a top-10 win. Whichever one it is is going to be the top-10 team to win the Pac-12. Alabama will not have that because Auburn, who they play at the end of the year, still has Georgia the week before. That could potentially be a four-loss Auburn team being their best win on their schedule. It's tricky. It's trickier than people are going to tell you it is because especially around here, it's going to be, well, of course Alabama deserves it. They're in the SEC. But it's a lot more nuanced than that, and it's a committee filled with people not from this region of the country. You got a text message that says Auburn beats Georgia. I could see that happening for sure. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, if LSU loses this weekend, don't they stay in the top four? Question from Tyler. No, they'll have the same fate that Alabama has. Five or six. Probably five ahead of Georgia, though. Uh, unless one of the two teams just roundly dominates the other. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if Alabama beats LSU by three touchdowns and it looks like they don't deserve to be on the field together, okay, maybe LSU falls to eight. If LSU just runs Alabama out of its own stadium, notches a 42-14 win, okay, maybe Alabama drops. That's a different story. But if it's a touchdown game, a field goal game, then there's probably not a lot. Here's another one for you. Ceasefire text line. What happens when Minnesota beats Penn State? Penn... Minnesota then starts climbing, and it becomes pretty interesting. But I don't think there's anybody that looks at Minnesota, even if they were to beat Penn State, and says, you know what, that Minnesota team is going to beat Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game. Right. Or I guess Michigan would be the other option. And they've barely skated by, too. Look, you got to win the games that you play, but if you look at Minnesota's schedule, I mean, a touchdown win over South Dakota State, a three-point win over Fresno State, a three-point win over Georgia Southern, a touchdown win at Purdue. They blew out Illinois, blew out Nebraska and Rutgers, but yikes. Yeah. It's fascinating. Dustin in Cleveland says, I think Clemson has the best seat because two of the top four teams have to lose. I agree completely, and it's what we said all along. It doesn't matter where Clemson is right now because as long as they don't lose, they will be in the top four, they will be in the playoff, and they will have a chance to repeat as national champions. A couple of uh, college football stories. P.J. Fleck has led Minnesota to an undefeated start to the season. They are rowing the boat before the lake's ice over. And he just signed a big-time extension 
that will carry him through 2020. No, I'm sorry. Just signed an extension that will start next season, 2020. $4.6 million. But the buyout is not really prohibitive. Prohibitive. If he leaves in 2020, the buyout is $10 million. If he leaves after 2020, though, the number drops to four and a half. So that takes him basically off the market this year, but not next year. It's kind of what it feels like. Wait, wait, wait. No, we got to push it two years out. Well, as I understand it, January 1, 2021, it's 4.5. So you'd have to wait. So it goes to 4.5 after next season. Correct. He's going to make, so he's making $3.6 million this year, but he has signed a seven year, $33.25 million contract that starts next season. That will go 4 buyout, if he leaves in 2020, would be $10 million. So he would owe $10 million if he left after this season. No, after the 2020 season. Right. So this. So whatever buyout he has in place right now applies to this season. Right. So the, the presumption is, even though he's having a great year, he's not really on the market for this coaching carousel. But because of that little clause in the buyout makes him available after next season, but you got to wait till January 1 to hire him. Okay. Because four and a half is nothing. If you're if you're a bigger program and you have your football coach, four and a half is nothing. Ten kind of gets it a little funky. Not everybody's got $10 million just sitting around to pay a buyout. No, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, And that's something that's been pointed out with the Ole Miss situation. I mean, people have talked about Matt Luke's future, you know, whether they're for it or against it or, or whatever, that Ole Miss probably can't afford, even if it wanted to make a change, to do so this year, given the financial situation that Ole Miss is currently in or has been in for the last couple of years, with the loss of revenue from SEC Network and declining season ticket sales and declining donations, etc., the reports that I've seen, and I've not done the freedom of information, well, you can't even get that. I mean, there are people that have figured out the contract numbers that it's going to be in the neighborhood of $15 million to buy out the entire staff. Well, and I guess the hope would be right is they would get other jobs negating that buyout. Yeah, some of it could get mitigated, obviously. So maybe it doesn't cost you fifteen million. Maybe it costs you ten million, or it costs you eight million, or whatever. Still a lot of money. Yeah, I mean that's a place that's struggling to kind of get back to kind of ground level. Right. That or, conversation or reserves is completely useless unless. LSU and Mississippi State beat them by a combined 60 points. Like, I, You said it before. I don't think it's possible, especially with the, the fact that 
We don't know who the, who the athletic director is going to be, and it doesn't sound like they're going to be into or they're going to know until around Thanksgiving. Yeah. So bringing in, I think a, this process is going to move fast. I don't know if it's going to move fast enough that anybody's going to want to come in and make a decision that quickly. Yeah. And if they beat Mississippi State, it's just simply not happening. It's just not. Yeah. Which is entirely possible. And, and my guess is that nobody, whether it, whether it's Keith Carter, who's the interim AD right now, or you go hire one of the names that's floating around for a potential athletic director, you hire somebody that nobody's ever heard of, my guess is that whoever the incoming athletics director is, or if it is Keith who's there right now, would prefer not to have to make that hire within the first week, or that, that decision within the first week of having the job full-time. Yeah. I mean, you want to bring in your own people, but not, like, after you signed all of your HR papers? Or before, yeah. Um, so so the question with regard... The reason the P.J. Fleck thing is interesting is why would you do that? Because agents are really good at their jobs. Mm-hmm. And Florida State's open. First major job opens... Boom, Florida State. Agent leaks P.J. Fleck's name or somebody leaks P.J. Fleck's name because he's undefeated at Minnesota in the Big Ten and there's a big-time national job open, and boom, immediately they get a new deal done. You know what? We're just going to go ahead and lock it up and not worry about it anymore, which is fine if you believe in the guy. And P.J. Fleck has not given Minnesota any reason not to believe at this point. What's Chad Morris doing in Fayetteville? He is starting redshirt freshman quarterback John Stephen Jones in their Week 11 game against Western Kentucky. John Stephen Jones is from Dallas, Texas. He is the grandson of the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, Jerry Jones, and is the son of the general manager of the Dallas Cowboys, Stephen Jones. Played in the last couple of games and has actually played fairly well. Um, yeah, it, it, for some reason I like torture, so I watched the entirety, at least on my second TV. Though I ended up watching the NBA in most of the second half because Mississippi State was blowing them out. But I was specifically interested in KJ Jefferson, so when he came in the game, like my eyes diverted away from ugly basketball to watch it. He's the most talented guy on their roster right now at the quarterback position. And he, he had, what, two series? One of them, he led them right down the field for a touchdown. But after Who, watching... John Stephen Jones or K.J. Jefferson? K.J. Jefferson. Yeah, and he was, what, one of two passing and had four or five runs? Yeah, and you can just tell, though, right away that this guy is more talented, especially than Ben Hicks. And John Stephen Jones, he just... He looks like he is... You know that story that Rippy told about how he got in the game and made a shot and... You know, got special yeah. congratulations. He he looks like he's one of those like walk-ons that they throw on the field for a feel-good story. John Stephen Jones does compared to KJ Jefferson. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he was a good player at Highland Park. They what won a state championship with him as the quarterback. That might be a little high on Jefferson. I just I, I saw those two series. But your point it, is a good one. John Stephen Jones is five eleven, one ninety nine. Yeah, it just doesn't look like he belongs there, and. Now that you've got this freshman quarterback that's obviously talented who you could sell as the future of your program or maybe just is no matter what, if you're there or not, why aren't you just rolling with him? And why didn't you do that against Mississippi State? 
I don't know the answer to that. So you think there's an ulterior motive? <laughs> you know, put my tinfoil hat on and think that Chad Morris is trying to save his job, so why not earn favor with the most popular... Uh, maybe not the most popular, but the the most known in the sports world, the Arkansas alum. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, let's be real. He gone. John Stephen Jones looks like Rudy. <laughs> he does. Oh, man. I don't get it. I don't get the Ben Hicks thing. I, you know, hate to be mean to a college kid, but my goodness. We talked about it the day after they played Ole Miss that, uh, I mean, I don't know what you saw in him to bring him in as a, tra- a grad transfer and start him over Starkle, who turns the football over, but... I mean, Ben Hicks didn't belong playing quarterback in the SEC, just well, didn't but, have it. I mean, Chad Morris, and this is not in his defense, but my guess is he brought a guy in that he thought knew his offense, and it performed okay. But I would say that it is a it was a bad decision if he thought because Ben Hicks knew his offense from SMU, he could come in and execute it against SEC teams. Yeah. He either believes too much in his offense or didn't recognize the reality of the difference between playing week in, week out in the SEC and week in, week out in the AAC. Shows up in Despite the our conversation well. earlier, it's not the same thing. No. And we get a text that asks, why did Ole Miss pass on K.J. Jefferson for the Texas kid that left? Grant Tisdale lit up high-level Texas high school football. Really talented quarterback. I don't think you can fault Ole Miss's staff for taking him and not pursuing harder KJ Jefferson. They're both really talented kids. I don't think you can blame them for that. Kevin and Winona, some folks row the boat while others bail water from said boat. That shoe may fit in a lot of different places. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.